0: Well, as we uh, think about uh, family and opportunities and everything coming up with the holiday, I remember the early days of dropping our sons off at college. Uh, There had been a whole lot of planning and preparation and conversation and instruction, you know, all of that goes into that. But when it came down to the time to leave them by themselves on a college campus, I would find my mind, once again, kind of flooded with these last-minute reminders and encouragements. Like, oh, wait, you know, don't forget this. And, oh, what about that? And, you know, oh, yeah, remember this. And they were, those were usually met with something like, Dad, I got it, right? Right. Um, now, except for with Owen, our, our fourth son, who's, uh, when he went to college, it was more like, all right, dude, like, just make sure you eat and change your sheets once, you know, this semester, we'll see you at Thanksgiving, you know, it was kind of like, you know, but, but the loving heart of a parent, right, you have those kind of moments with your children. So as we come to the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul shows the heart of a concerned and loving parent. In fact, in the opening greeting, Paul referred to Timothy as his true child in the faith. We looked at that in chapter 1. So we note the, the special, unique bond and relationship that the Apostle Paul and this young pastor named Timothy had. And Paul wrote much to address the specific matters of the church in the ancient city of Ephesus, and he instructed Timothy on how to lead and what to teach throughout the letter. Now, due to the timeless and universal nature of God's Word, we also benefit right from these Holy Spirit-inspired words of Paul. This is why we believe that the Bible is our ultimate and authoritative source of truth. It is God's inerrant, sufficient, and inspired revelation to us. And as Paul begins to pen the final words of this letter, we get lots of reminders and kind of final encouragements to ponder. So let's... Uh, Let's do this. I want to, we've done this uh, uh, from a time to time uh, throughout our study, but I invite you to stand with me. We're going to read the entire uh, text that we will focus on today. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 through 21. If you don't have the English standard version, uh, translation in your hands, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along as we read. So let's read out loud the word of the Lord together. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, "...whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen." As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share." Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And Father, may your spirit guide us as we seek to understand your word. And uh, so go before us, I pray, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in verse 11, we see Paul kind of beginning to round out his letter to Timothy. And he begins with uh, kind of this contrast. But as for you, O man of God. So what's he contrasting. Well, in verse 10, he had referenced and described those who wandered from the faith because of their love of money. Instead of truly pursuing Christ, they had put on a form of godliness that was only for selfish gain. So he says to Timothy, one who was a leader there in the church, right? he says, don't be like that. Don't utilize godliness for personal gain. But as for you, O man of God, And as I contemplated that um, description, if you will, that Paul gave to Timothy, man of God, I wondered this week, if you, as you think about others, as I think about others, what would we need to observe in someone's life in order to refer to them with this description? Oh, man of God, oh, woman of God, what would be true of their life that you would give them such a Description. Here, Paul, we know he has this close relationship with Timothy. He had identified in Timothy his heart for Christ and his pursuit of, of, of the ministry that God had called him to, and, and so he refers to O oh, man of God. It's quite a description. And I pray that that's true of our lives as well. Now Paul gives his answer to the question, what would you need to observe? He says, first of all, a man of God as a man of God flee these things not out of fear, right? but to escape something that is of danger and wisdom, uh, knowing that what you are fleeing will not produce the godliness in your life. Flee. It's dangerous. Run from it. Paul likes this imagery of fleeing, of, of running from something. He mentions it a couple times in his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 verse 18, he tells them to flee sexual immorality. In chapter 10 verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, he tells them to flee from idolatry. And in the second letter he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 uh, and 22, he says, flee youthful passions. Paul likes this idea, this concept of, of thinking about the Christian life in one regard as fleeing from that which does not produce godliness in your life. One of the clearest examples we have in Scripture of in the Old Testament, a man named Joseph. Right? Joseph, you may recall, slow, sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up specifically in the house of Potiphar, one of the leaders under the Pharaoh there in Egypt. And it wasn't before long that Potiphar's wife began to take notice of Pharaoh, a handsome, or of Joseph, a handsome young man, and so he, she begins to pursue him and asks him to be with her, to sleep with her, and he says in chapter 39 of Genesis verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness? He's recounting God's faithfulness. How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? He goes on in verse 10, as, they, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her To lie beside her, to be with her, so Joseph's fleeing began with not even listening, not even entertaining the conversation, not even being around it. He wouldn't listen, and the same was to be true for Timothy. Right? Don't listen to these irreverent myths and these silly teachings. We've seen. Reference throughout the letter. And so in that, in that city of Ephesus, right, that, within the church, there was that where it was being promoted, things that were, that were just babbling, things that, that Paul concluded, like, these are, these are not things that produce godliness. This is unsound doctrine. So he's telling Timothy, flee from it. Don't even listen to it, we could say. Now, we get ourselves in trouble, I believe, when we open the door to listening to things that don't lead us toward Christ, when we entertain the things of this world, when we, when we think, well, we can just have a little bit or we can somehow live life with a foot on both sides of the fence. We can, you know, enjoy the things of this world and the pleasures of this world and fulfill some of the desires of our heart, the sinful desires. And, and I can still, you know, be a, a Christian We find ourselves in trouble when we open the door to listening to the things that don't lead us toward Christ. Why? Because listening to lies is often the first step of giving in to temptation. When we listen, when we entertain with our minds that which is not in pursuit of godliness. So, friend, just be careful, right? Be mindful as you think about life, as you think about the influences that you listen to. Do they lead you toward Christ, or do they tempt you away from him and toward sin? For Joseph, uh, it it became all the more clear in Genesis 39. One day it says, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, so they were alone, right? He and Potiphar's wife, and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Yeah, I say, I think Joseph was prepared for that moment of temptation because he had not even listened to her desires previously. He was ready to run. He was ready to flee the situation. So Joseph's fleeing continued with a literal running away. And of course, Potiphar's wife lies and Joseph finds himself thrown into prison and, uh, all that to reveal to us, like, you know what? The result of making the right choice is not always a happy ending. The result of fleeing that which is going to, uh, you know, cause us toward God, ungodliness is not always the happy ending. Uh, uh, it, it's not what brings joy sometimes. And some of you have been in that situation at, at work perhaps or with friends or whatever it may be, with family. You've had to take a stand. You've had to make the hard choice. You've had to flee what is of ungodliness, and the result has not been all that enjoyable, right? You, you make that decision realizing there may be a time when, man, this may cost me my job, this may cost me a friendship. So there's this thought of, oh, man of God, oh, person of God, oh, woman of God, right? That, 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 that involves a fleeing heart of what is not according to godliness. And it's difficult to flee. Listen, this is really vital for you to understand. It's difficult to flee unless you have set your heart on what to pursue. Does that make sense? If you're trying to flee one thing, you have to know, what am I then pursuing? And the man of God, Paul says, knows what to pursue. He tells Timothy, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. And those are just representative of all the things, not only in 1 Timothy we have seen, indicative of someone who is pursuing a godly life, but we think about uh, other places in Scripture as well where things are mentioned, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or, you know, we, God has been clear with us. And so we have this mindset Paul brings of fleeing and pursuing, fleeing and pursuing. In dangerous moments, we've been told, you know, it's either the fight or the flight mentality, right? What's, what's your response in dangerous moments? Well, here it seems like it's both, right? You, you, you flee and you fight uh, because you're pursuing something. And so the constant nature of the Christian life, we read in the Scripture, things like put off the old self and put on the new self. We read the effort of, of, of leaving behind what is of evil and setting your mind on the things of the Spirit we're called to walk in the spirit, and so on. James puts it this way, puts it this way in the book of James in, in chapter four. He says, "You cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God." James says, "You adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. You cannot pursue both things at the same time. You're fleeing one and running to the other. You're running to the other and fleeing from that. Right? You, you, just, you, you can't have it both ways. And listen, God knows our battle in this. And so James reminds us that God is a God of grace in verses 6 and 7. That he gives more grace... And therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore then to God, right? Be humble, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. So when we submit ourselves to God and we humble ourselves and God's grace strengthens us to flee temptation, to flee what is of evil, to pursue what is of righteousness and godliness, And we stand in that, then the devil flees from us because of Christ in us. How's that for a promise of God, right? He will flee from you. One of the realities of the Scripture that I see is that you never have to question the will of God and how you live. The Bible is clear in what we are to pursue, and I'm grateful for that. You know, the will of God, we have those conversations sometimes, and although the scriptures don't give to us the specific answer to things we would like at times, like, man, should I take this job or that job, or should we move here or there, or, you know, those kind of uh, God's will kind of questions we tend to ask in life. And, but I think God gives to us clarity of wisdom and how to walk through those decisions. But, but when we think about specifically how to live life, friend, listen, By God's grace, we don't have to ever wonder what the will of God is and how to live. It's right here. The Word of God declares it to us of what to flee and what to pursue. And that's a gift of God's grace, that He would give to us that clarity. The question is, will we pursue it? So a couple of kind of introspective questions for you at this point. As you think about your Christian life, if you are a follower of Christ, maybe you're here today, maybe tuning online, you're not a follower of Jesus at this point. You're considering that and, and whether to place your faith in Jesus and, and to really commit and be born again. But here's my question to those of you that are following Christ is, what are you intentionally fleeing as you evaluate your life? What are, what are some specific things you could point to of saying, man, you know what, I, I don't engage in this or I don't... Go there, or this, or that, or whatever it might be. And and the reason is not a legalistic thing, but out of an effort, say, man, I I need to flee certain situations, or flee certain circumstances, or flee certain relationships, even because what I know is going to happen there is I'm going to be tempted toward what is ungodly. What are you intentionally fleeing? And the converse of that to be true, what are you intentionally pursuing? What can you look at in your life and say, this is a way I am pursuing godliness in my life. And what is of righteousness? Paul goes on to say that fleeing and pursuing is a fight. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession <clears throat> in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of the faith. There are some fights worth having right, and the fight of the faith is worth having. This, of course, is not a physical fight. It's not a call to arms to, for the sake of the gospel. This is a spiritual battle that shows itself even in physical ways, right? But it is a spiritual battle. Listen to these words of Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is a, I think, literal sense of like you're presenting your bodies to God, you know, of what you do with your mind and your eyes and your lips and your tongue and your hands and your feet, like you're presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. Ephesians 6, very descriptive for us of the life we Live in the spiritual battle, the fight that we are in. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. A spiritual battle that has physical implications, if you will, right? The battle is for your heart and for your soul. This is a spiritual battle that we engage in, but there's a reality to it. Man, it gets flushed out in the way we live life every day, our mindset and what we focus on and what we think about. It's a spiritual battle. Fight the good fight of the faith. Jesus Encouraged us in this way in Luke chapter 9, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, right? That's pursuit, isn't it? If anyone would pursue me, let him deny himself or flee himself, we could say, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You see the heart of that? Pursue me. If you're going to pursue me, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross daily. Now, what is the cross, right? The image of the cross, of course, represented death. The symbol of the cross was, a, was an image of death. When, in the day when people saw a cross, what they thought of instantly was crucifixion, punishment, punishment. And so what is the cross for us? Why would Jesus tell us to take up our crime? I mean, didn't he die? Yes, Jesus had to die on the cross for us, right? That was his sacrificial death once and for us, once and for all. But here he's telling us to take up our cross. What is that? Well, it's that daily mindset of, of crucifying the flesh, the sinful desires within. Fleeing that to pursue Godliness. so he continues in 1st Timothy in verse 12 you know he says to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called take hold of it cling to it grab onto it you know, that day that you were saved, that day that you gave your life to Christ, maybe some of you have a very specific moment of, of when you got on your knees and you prayed, you confessed Jesus. For some of you, that was more of a progression in your life, but you're certain, like, man, I, I know Jesus, right? And, and, and you, you have taken hold of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and been transformed and born again. He's saying, he's just, man, continue to take hold of that eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. In the presence of many witnesses, we've seen a few times here throughout this letter when Paul would reference to Timothy an experience of his, of, of having the elders lay their hands on him, right? In this confession of Timothy, of, of, of following Christ, and, and it's similar for us. of just This is the good confession. Take hold of it. Cling to it. Furthermore, Paul charges Timothy here in, in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul gives Timothy a charge, kind of like giving orders on behalf of, right, on behalf of God in this case. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God. And then he throws in a, a little descriptor of God. In the presence of God, the one, by the way, who gives life to everything, right? Who is the giver and the sustainer of life in his presence, the presence of Almighty God. Take hold of that eternal life. Remember, you serve the one who gives life to all things. And in the presence of Christ Jesus, he says, I charge you, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. We might be Paul might have just been thinking of the, the general uh, time that Jesus had before Christ, but listen to these words of John eighteen thirty seven specifically when Pilate said to Jesus, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The good confession of Jesus, right? He remained steadfast even before Pilate, who eventually would uh, give permission for Jesus to be crucified for no reason, right? He knew what he was doing. Jesus knew that this crucifixion was solely about our sin, about him taking on his shoulders the wrath of God that we deserved, and yet he remained faithful. It was the good confession. And so when Paul says to, to me, I charge you in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of Christ Jesus, to keep the commandment, to do what I've asked you to do in this entire letter, to guard and protect the gospel and sound doctrine, and to do so without compromise and without wavering, right? To, to do so, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could summarize it this way, perhaps. Remain faithful to the end, Timothy. Don't listen to the conversations that are going on in Ephesus. Don't listen to the false teachers. Don't fall prey to that temptation. Verse 15, this appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Again, a little note there of, of God's sovereignty at the proper time. I think one of the most critical things about life, I agree with A.W. Tozer and others who have commented on this, that the most critical thing about life for us is what we believe to be true about God. If you just stop and think about it for a moment, your life, quite honestly, flows out of what you believe to be true about God. That's true for every person, even for the atheist, right? Right? Someone who claims to be atheist, say there is no God. What they believe to be true about God is what their life then flows from. And it's true for us. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, what do we believe to be true about God? We're, we're here pointed, Paul points us to lots of things here about the reality of God. And one of those things at the proper time, right? God is the one in control. God is the one who is, 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 his plan is unfolding. And at the proper time when Jesus came, right? At the proper time when when the events of history unfolded and here, the coming of Christ, the return of Jesus will happen at the proper time, the time God the Father has um, committed. And he is the one He goes on to say, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen? I mean, you just get this sense of Paul's excitement here as he's recounting who God is. We see him kind of reflecting between father and son. The only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that seems to be referencing Jesus, the one with immortality, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. That seems to reveal the the essence of the Father, right? Because Jesus came and walked among us, and He was God in the flesh, and so we've seen Him, but no one has ever seen the Father. And so to this God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to Him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 18 says this, When no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, meaning Jesus, He has made Him known. So we know what God is like as we study the life of Jesus. And to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Praise be to God. Now... As you read this, you even kind of responded to a little bit in your own amen. As we read those verses, we sensed the enthusiasm. It's almost like this sounds like the rousing end to a motivational speech. Like, I mean, you expect you know, them to just rush out the door, you know, down the tunnel and take the field and just smash the enemy, right? That's what we would envision here. But with the heart of a loving parent, the reminders come. Oh, don't forget, right? Verse 17. As for the rich, Timothy, remember in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes of the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Here's another thing about God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Friends, that's the God of grace that the Bible reveals a God who would give to us everything to enjoy. And and I know sometimes that's hard to 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 process in the midst of a life that is that is full of of, of uh, uh, grief and sorrow at times and things that cause confusion and like what what is it that God has given us to enjoy? Well, if we go back to Genesis, right, and we look and see when God created and he made Adam and Eve, what did he say to them? He didn't, you know, he didn't kind of put them under his thumb and say, You have to obey me and blah blah No, He says, Here, here's here's my creation. Right, to rule over and to have dominion and to enjoy. And God has continued to have that heart. Even though our sinfulness has brought brokenness to the world, God says here, I give to you everything to enjoy. And what a blessing that is. And so they, the rich, she says in verse 18, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It's another phrase I love in this text. To take hold of that which is truly life. Before in verse 12, we saw Paul say, take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And now he, he says, man, encourage them that they may take hold of what is truly life. It's not found in the things of this world. True life is not found in the, in the wealth and the riches and the plenty of, of this world that our heart so naturally wants to, wants to, to long for and to chase after. It says, no. May they learn to take hold of that which is truly life, life in Christ. Remember what we saw earlier. It's, it's, that, it's that contentment, right, that comes. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Great gain. That's true life. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. I just love that uh, Emphasis of Paul as well, when Christ, who is your life, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The final encouragement in verses 20 and 21, not really a benediction, it's kind of this kind of a bit of abrupt ending to the letter after he's giving these reminders. He says, oh, Timothy, and you sense the, the compassion in his voice. You sense the tenderness in that. In the Greek, it's, it's a endearment it's a, a kind of thing. Oh, Timothy, right, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. He says, stay faithful. Stay faithful flee ungodliness pursue what is of righteousness and godliness and he says to guard the deposit what's the deposit you go to the bank you make a deposit or you do it online now you know you deposit your check through online banking whatever you make a deposit right you're inserting and and you and you've been granted something that you then put into your trust and to guard the deposit the fixed absolute truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friend, we are not to add to or detract from. It's not our place to change it or to add to it or to think we have to catch the gospel up to our current understanding. Right? That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to take what God has given to us, the, the timeless, changeless, eternal truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that which is of sound doctrine in accordance with the teaching of Jesus, and we are called and entrusted to keep it and to guard it, and to protect it. And that's what Timothy was to do in his day. And it's our call today to fight the good fight of the faith, to hold tight to the good confession of the faith. And What is that good confession? That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the once and for all sacrifice for the sin of humanity, And whoever believes in him and places their faith in him, they will be saved. So, First of all, friend, I would say to you, if that's where you're at today, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never bowed your knee in humility to say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and Jesus is the one. I believe in what he's done for me on the cross, and that God the Father raised him from the dead, and that there is this eternal truth, there's eternal life in him. You've never taken an opportunity to confess that today can be your day. And in that, it would be a brand new start for you, a day of being born again in eternal life in Jesus Christ. Certainly encourage that. And for the rest of us, I would say today's our day to kind of revisit, perhaps a resolve in our spirit of guarding what has been entrusted to us. This isn't just mine to guard or our pastors to guard or our elders to guard. It's ours to guard. You have a neighbor who needs you to guard the truth of the gospel and to share it with them well. You have a coworker who needs you, someone I will never meet, and Rich will never meet, and our elders will never meet. You have someone in your life who needs to hear from you the truth of the gospel. And so guard it and share it. Guard it doesn't mean keep it for yourself, okay? Okay. God, it means do well to protect the sanctity of it and what God has given to us and to share it with them and to share it well. And may the Spirit give to us strength in that. So here's how we're going to finish. Instead of ending with a song today, figured it would be very fitting for us. We've sang some songs in agreement with, you know, thinking about God and his glory and majesty and our response to him. And and so now is kind of our, our time to say, hey, we want to pray in commitment to, to keep what has been entrusted to us. So there's just three things that might prompt you and what to pray for, and uh, we encourage you if you want to circle up with some around you, maybe your family, maybe there's a few around you, three or four of you that you could pray with. Maybe you just want to pray on your own, and that's okay too. We we get it, and if you're not comfortable with others, maybe you're new here and don't know someone, but that's okay. If somebody turns to you and pray, we just encourage you to say, yeah, I could do that, and and that you don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to, if you're not comfortable with that. But just we want a spirit of prayer here as we finish our study of Timothy together. And, and asking the Father to help us with these things, to flee sin and temptation and pursue godliness with all of our hearts. Father, help us to take hold of the good confession and to guard the deposit entrusted to us. And, and thirdly, Father, we set our hope on you. Help us enjoy, right, to, 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 to be people of joy, to help us to enjoy what you have given and help us to be rich in good works. Can we pray that together as we finish our time? And when you're done, when you're done praying, you're dismissed, okay? Um, and so, but I would encourage you, even if it's by yourself, just, just take a couple of minutes and engage in conversation with the Lord. That's all prayer is, it's conversation with God. And uh, do that together as you're comfortable. And, uh, and let's bring our hearts before the Lord uh, in prayer together. Let me pray for you, and we'll launch into that. Father, as we think about these things, strengthen us by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to uh, flee, to pursue, to fight the good fight of the faith. Lord, to hold fast, to keep what you have given to us. Um, may we be wonderful servants who seek only your glory and your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take opportunity to pray together before you go.